We're thankful for those that serve in so many aspects of the church and those that uh, work with our kids and teach them. I'm going to ask Matt if he would come forward at this time. Matt's going to give the message to us today. And um, we're thankful for Matt and Christy Moore. Many of you who keep up with our missions program, our wonderful missions program here at Calvary, know them well and pray for them. Uh, We have folks that pray for your kids by name, Matt. And I know that is a blessing for me being in ministry. When I have someone let me know I'm praying for your family and praying for you, that is so, so deep. And so we've asked him to come and bring the word to us this morning. Matt, welcome to Calvary. Left-handed shake, all right. All right, they've got me multitasking with the slides, so I'm going to apologize now for when I don't advance the slides. Um, good morning. Like you said, my name is Matt. I'm a missionary pastoring a church plant focused on reaching college students at the University of Texas. And apparently I brought with me uh, the heat. It's actually going to be hotter here than in Austin, so you can uh, blame me for that, and uh, I apologize uh, in advance. Um, Happy Father's Day. Uh, I have four kids. I think they're listening online. Three of them are uh, down in Texas with my wife, so hi. Micah, Alana, and Jenna. This is going to be a thrill for them to be able to hear that over the speakers. Um, And my my oldest daughter is going to Barakel next week, so she flew up with me. Uh, So uh, we are really excited to be here. Uh, Before I jump in, I just wanted to say thank you. You Calvary, you were the first church to jump on and start supporting us. We've been at this almost 14 years now, and um, so we just thank you for your prayers, your sacrifices, your giving, and um, we could not be doing what we're doing uh, without you, so thank you for that. And if my wife and my other kids were here, they would say thank you as well. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll get going. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you are our perfect father and uh, you love us, you've saved us, uh, you know us, God, you've called us by name. And uh, we pray right now, Lord, there are so many things that can just be distracting in our mind. Help us to set aside everything that's coming up in the next week or this evening, uh, just all the things that can distract us and help us to hear from you, Lord. Help us to, to know you better, to love you better so we can uh, serve you better and live our lives with you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're going to look at a passage in John 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, we're going to look at um, four things that Jesus did uh, to live on mission uh, and, and things we can do to live like Jesus and, and to go and to actually make disciples, which is what we're called to do. So we're in John 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Uh, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Uh, It was about the sixth hour. Okay, so Jesus uh, and his... um, and his followers are coming back from Jerusalem. And I might have a map, we'll see. 
I do have a map. Okay, because it's always important to remember these are real people and real places, and so this can help orient you. So they're coming back from Jerusalem, and they're, uh, if you can see on the map, they're heading, they're heading north. So the most direct route is to go right through the region of Samaria. Uh, the Samaritans, they were a mixed race. They were partly Jew, and they were part Gentile. And so the Jews didn't like him, and the uh, Gentiles didn't like them. So no one really liked them the strictest Jews would avoid going through the area. They'd actually go around Samaria because they didn't want to go through this area where these people who who compromised were. They were kind of like the outcasts. Uh, But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes right through the middle of this area. Um, He took his disciples with him to places where they probably never thought they'd go, to people who they probably never thought they'd be reaching out to. That's my first observation, is that Jesus went where there was a need. Like, for us, like, I never thought that I would be living in Texas. Uh, I was born and raised in Michigan. I grew up in Lapeer. I went to Turrell Elementary School, E.T. White Junior High, and graduated from Lapeer East High School in 1997, which was 20 years ago, which makes me feel very old. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, all right, uh, there are people who are older than, I'm the oldest in our church by far, so I'm like the grandpa there. Um, and so we'd, we'd grown up in Michigan, um, but I'm, I'm passionate about church planting and reaching college students. Uh, there are about 17 million college students in the U.S., and uh, depending on whose statistics you look at, somewhere around 70% of people who are following Jesus in high school who go to college uh, abandon their faith during their college years, and many of them never come back to him. And I bet if we polled people here, probably almost all of you know someone who was involved in church following Jesus, went away to college, and then they just abandoned their faith. Often it's rare to see someone Uh, continue to follow Jesus and actually grow from 18 to 22, 23 than it is to, uh, that's more rare than people just chucking their faith. And so uh, I, God gripped my life uh, with the gospel and just a a vision for reaching these these college students when I was a student at the University of Michigan. And so when I, when I graduated from U of M, I went on staff at a a campus-focused church there in Ann Arbor And we had the opportunity to go plant a ministry at Michigan State University. And we'd spent six years there, and God had just moved the way God moves. And we had about 200 students coming around, and uh, we we doubled our staff team by raising up missionaries. And so we started looking at, well, where can we plant a church? Uh, Where else could we go? And I remember a friend of mine called me in the summer of of 2011, and he was out in Colorado at a leadership training thing we do, and he called, and he's like, hey, what do you think about the University of Texas down in Austin? I said, well, I could never live in Texas. And, uh, and he's like, well, it's a, it's a premier university. It's a great city. There's a, it seems like there's a huge need there. And I'm like, no, nah, I just, I don't see that. Um, I don't own cowboy boots. I don't have the hats. I don't, it's not, I just don't see that. But I was like, here, let me, let me call you back. Let me ask my wife. So I hung up and went to my wife, Christy. I'm like, hey, what do you think about University of Texas down in Austin? And she's like, we could never live in Texas. I'm like, oh, all right, we're on the same page. This is good. So uh, 
ended up calling him back, and he's like, fly in, we'll meet you there, we'll scout out the university, we'll talk to a bunch of people. I'm like, all right. Uh, so flew down and uh, was just blown away. We talked to all these different ministries, we talked to different churches, and we're like, man, there's a huge need here, and there's so much potential. And so we started looking at the city of Austin. There's almost two million people in the greater Austin area. Uh, It's one of the fastest growing large cities. It's ranked number one on US News, best places to live. And because of that, it attracts people from all over the country and all over the globe. Uh, And we're like, wow, this is this, it's this liberal blue dot in this sea of like Christian conservative red. And so what it does is it attracts all these people who are like tired of like, look, I don't want to be in this conservative area. They all come to Austin. And so we're like, this is, the motto for Austin is keep Austin weird. And if you go and you walk around, you will see there are people who are doing their best to, to keep Austin weird. Um, so many stories I could tell there, but we're not going to go there. Um, yeah, so we were like, here's a great place. Here's a, here's a place with a huge need. And we just thought, started thinking and dreaming and praying, like, what if we planted a church here and people caught the, caught, caught the vision for, for reaching out to college students and then some of these college students will, like, stick around Austin because it's a desirable place to live and they can help us grow this church and the others who go out and get jobs and become doctors or lawyers or engineers or teachers, all that, like they're going to leave with a missionary mindset and then it's just a matter of assignment because we're all missionaries. And so we started praying about that and we looked at UT. Um, It's the fifth largest campus uh, in the U.S. Uh, There we go. Um, I'm just not going to run the slides, all right, because I'm totally going to forget this. Can you run the slides? Sorry about that. Um, uh, it's the fifth largest campus in the U.S. It's over 51,000 students. The best guess we can get, because uh, all the ministries will kind of like pool our numbers to see kind of how we're doing, is that one in 10 ever attend. That's not like plug in, show up on Sundays, get involved in like community. One in 10 ever attend a campus church or ministry during their four years at UT. And from talking to students over the last five years, they're like, that's like way high. It's more like one in 20 if that. And so we just think there are over 45,000 students who either don't know Jesus or who are no longer following him in community. And we're like, man, what a need here. And I mean, it's like one in 10. It's like this area here, one out of 10. Like no, 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 no. One person is actually gonna attend a church. Um, so we're like, here's a great place to, here's a great need, and we have a tremendous opportunity here. And we look at these four years of college, and it's like, man, this could be the greatest opportunity for you for ministry, because there's really nothing else like it, where uh, pe- you're surrounded by people at the same stage of life. They have similar interests, sim- similar age, close proximity, and you have this opportunity to reach people from all over the globe. And these are all people who are exploring, what do I do with my life? What do I believe? Maybe I was raised in a church. Is this going to be my faith, or is that just kind of the thing that I grew up with? And so one of the key things we're doing to try to go where there's a need is when we knew we were going to start a, a Sunday service, we're like, it has to be within walking distance. Most college students don't have cars, 
And so we're like, well, it's a big leap for someone who's never set foot in a church to get in a car with you and go somewhere. But if they can just kind of walk, and then if they think it's weird, they can just like walk right out and leave. The problem with that is UT is in central Austin, and it is insanely expensive. Um, I know churches that are paying just for rent, paying like 165000 a year to rent space for Sunday mornings. I mean, so we're like, okay, well, we have college students and some post-college people, so we don't really have money coming in. So we'll just pray and see what God does. And so we started a service. We just started gathering like house church in my living room. And four weeks in uh, to doing that, we'd found this uh, Episcopal seminary that was willing to rent to us for just super cheap, which was just a total miracle. And then with little promo or advertising or anything like that, people just started inviting their friends. Um, and that's a, that's a picture of my living room um, uh, during one of our services. And so we've seen God slowly moving and growing. But we're, we're trying to work really hard to be easily accessible for these college students. So it's really easy for them to invite their friends. And um, so we try to go where there's a need. So I, what does that look like for you here in Lapeer? Because it doesn't mean you need to move. Although if you move south, the winters are amazing. Um, it snowed once, and when it snows in Texas, it's an event, like in Austin. People run into their yards. They don't have winter clothing, so they're wrapping themselves in blanket, and it's like this whole, it's like Christmas. Uh, it's incredible to watch. And we're like, ah, oh, I remember when this happened every day. Um, but you don't need to move, because there are needs all around you. Maybe it's serving as something like the, the refuge, or, or visiting the elderly, or, or maybe you're the elderly, and finding a way to connect with young people. You have so much experience and wisdom and insight that you can share with young people. Or if, if you're young, seek out older people you will benefit so much from, from their insights into your life. Maybe it's your neighbors. Uh, maybe it's people you work with. I don't know what that looks like for you here. But here's what I know. You don't have the job you have or the, you don't go to the school you go to. You don't live where you live. Uh, you don't have the hobbies or the responsibilities that you have. You don't have those on accident. You're a missionary and God's placed you strategically where you are and there are needs around you and you can, you can step out and start meeting those needs. Go where there's a need. The passage continues in verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Jesus didn't see the Samaritans. He didn't see them as people to be avoided. He saw them as people who needed to be reached. The Samaritan woman, Jesus, Jesus saw her as valuable. He saw people needing the life-giving water that only he can give. My second point is that Jesus saw people differently. How did their religious leaders see the Samaritans? These are people to be avoided. Like, I'd rather take a longer walk to get home than to go in this area. How was this woman viewed? It's noon. She's there because she's an outcast. I live in a hot climate, and apparently today, so do you. And you don't go do work at, like, noon. You go early in the morning or you do it later at night. And uh, Jesus saw her differently. She's the kind of person that if you were interacting with her, that could give you like a bad reputation. But Jesus didn't care. I work with college students, <coughs> excuse me, young men and women who are figuring out for the first time, um, you know, out from their parents' roof, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about the world? How am I going to live my life? What are my values going to be? And I see the articles about the, the younger generations, the millennials, um, you know, the articles are like they're lazy, they have no work ethic, they want life handed to them, they just kind of want to watch Netflix and take selfies and you know, all of that stuff. And I've talked to people about what we're, what we're doing. I'm like, you know, as we raise support, I'm like, you know, we're, we see a lost generation here, like a place in our country where the the majority of Christians who go there abandon their faith. This is also a place that the world sends some of its best and brightest leaders. And we see such a strategic opportunity for the gospel to go out. And these young men and women, they go on to lead companies and be teachers and nurses and doctors and scientists. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And so we've shared that and... I've heard from people, um, they live in the U.S., like they've had their chance. We don't need missionaries in the U.S. We don't need, like a church focus that has a huge focus on college students, like these people have had their chance, this is the U.S. I'm like, man, I wonder if you'd feel differently. Oh, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) It's this hot weather up here in Michigan that's just parched my throat. Oh, thank you. That was great. Um, now if I can just not spill it. Um, uh, and I'm like, I wonder if you'd see that differently if that was your son or your daughter who, who you know, grew up with you in the church and then they, they went out or who'd never known God. Wouldn't you want someone reaching out to them? Because I think of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Uh, and this is Jesus. He went through all the cities and villages and he's teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out 
laborers into his harvest. And harassed and helpless. And that's, uh, that's how I see a lot of this generation. They're lonely. They're, oh, excuse me. Every now and then when I teach, I get a little emotional. It happens like twice a year, and this may be one of them. So I apologize for that as well. Um, they're lonely, they're broken, they're confused, and they're just running to things that will not satisfy them. And I think there are a lot of things with this younger generation. Uh, an- another bottle. <laughs> this is, I got, I got two. Thank you. This is great. Like every two or three minutes, someone's going to bring me a bottle of water and I'm going to leave with like a case of water. <laughs> Very generous. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I got one for my right hand and one for my left now. Um, okay, uh, so this generation, one of the things to know about like the younger generation right now is that they're very aware. They've grown up with the internet, so they know what's going on in the world. Um, they're less secure. It's, it's post 9-11. They understand that like, bad things don't just happen over there. They happen here. Um, excuse me. Uh, they're more sober-minded. Like, they understand the world is dark, and they want to change the world. They just don't know how. And I see a generation that's just uh, harassed, excuse me, um, helpless and alone. We interact with these students who, they've got the cool clothes, they've got the newest phones, all that stuff. They've got a thousand friends on Facebook and they have no one to hang out with on a Friday night. So they'll get drunk or binge watch Netflix because, well, that numbs it for a little while. And there are definitely some students who I've met who fit the the snowflake kind of label. But I know students who take 19 credits, work 30 hours, are involved in church. And I think it's easy to write off a generation. Um, but it's harder to remember that Ephesians 6.12 says we wrestle, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. There's a whole other battle going on here. And we're, we're losing our young people. Um, we're losing the next generation. And we see so much brokenness on the campus. Um, and I could just tell story after story of heartbreaking uh, situations that students have been through. Um, yeah, uh, but there's, the thing is, is there's brokenness all around you as well. It's not like it just happens at college campuses. Like there are needs and lonely, broken people all around you. What we need to do is see people differently. Are we seeing people as kind of like the enemy? Do we label them as like, oh, them, or those people? Or is it, wow, these people are harassed and helpless. It's hard to do what Jesus does and, and go where there's a need and then see people differently, especially when there people can be very hostile towards you and to still be able to love them uh, and reach out to them. Uh, and it's hard to do what Jesus does next. This may be one of the hardest steps. Uh, in verse 16, as the passage continues, uh, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said, ouch. She didn't say that. She said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place uh, where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And so what Jesus does here is he engages the woman. He doesn't just go where she is. He doesn't just see her differently. He actually engages with her. And she brings up the division between uh, Jews and Samaritans, and he's just kind of sidesteps that and says, no, 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 this is about your heart. My third observation, third point here is engage the people around you. Like if you have kids, engage your kids. Ask them questions. Talk to them. Let your kids fail. (coughs) I think that's one of the things we see with some of the young generations is they haven't learned how to fail in a safe place. Next drink will be from the left water bottle. Um, Engage with them. Let your kids lose and teach them how to lose with honor and integrity and learning that, hey, it's okay to fail I need to learn how to fail and then recover from that. Um, Teach your kids to know what they believe and then why they believe it. Most of the students who I encounter who've grown up in the church really know neither. If they know some of that, they probably know what. They might know what the Bible is, who Jesus was, um, you know, some of those things, but as soon as you go past the what and you ask well, why, like what do you believe about the Bible? Oh, it's inspired and it's infallible. Oh, that's great. Well, why do you believe that? And then you can just see them like, oh. And that's the kind of stuff they're going to encounter uh, in college from the professors, and it's going to be a very slanted, one-sided view for the most part. Teach them why. Why do we pray? Right? Why go to church? Why read the Bible? And if you don't know, learn with them together. We do a lot of outreach on campus. Um, just go out and uh, we'll just get into spiritual conversations with people. Like I'll walk up to a student and because it's the South and they're really friendly, they almost always say yes, which is way different than I was at the University of Michigan or Michigan State. But I'll say like, hey, do you have like five minutes for a spiritual interest survey? And most of the time they say yes. And I'll say, hey, I'd like to start off with, do you have any sort of spiritual background? So I kind of know who I'm interacting with or who, who they think, uh, they're, they're, where they're at. And um, you get a variance. And then I'll ask something like, okay, hey, do you believe that there's like objective truth or things like that? And one of the things that's been very eye-opening is that there is almost no difference between how a, someone who proclaims to be a Christian and how someone who 
says they're atheist or agnostic or Buddhist or whatever, answers that question, and it's usually no. No, there's not objective truth. I mean, I believe this, but, you know, and then they just kind of stand there. Um, you know, it's just been fascinating to engage with people and to listen to them and then just ask a lot of questions and not just pound them with the truth, but to, to listen and engage with them. We'll ask questions like, how do you define love or what's the purpose of life? Uh, and we're trying to go out and actually engage with people. Um, and then I always like to end with, hey, Christianity, when you, when you hear that or you think of that, or do you think positive things, like do you have positive or more of a, like a negative connotation? And it's often negative. And when you dig in there, it's, you can just hear, we've heard so many just tragic stories of people who've just been burned by the church and they can't separate being burned from the church from, from our Savior. And uh, so just interacting and listening um, and talking with them. And what's been fascinating is multiple times we've had people thank us for asking and engaging. And the lies I believe is I'm going up to talk to, talk to some college student um, is like, oh, I'm interrupting and I'm bothering them. But then we'll have people be like, hey, thank you. Like, I thought college was going to be more wrestling with these questions, but people aren't talking about this. Like, hey, thanks for asking. And it's interesting because a lot of times it's the non excuse me, the non-Christians who are the ones who are like, hey, thanks, this is really, this is helpful. You've given me a lot of stuff to actually, like, think through. And we've had people come to some of our small groups because of that, and they keep coming because we're talking about deeper things that really matter. And they're like, people don't, are almost afraid to talk about this stuff, so this is really fun. Um, so engage the people around you. Don't be afraid. People actually want to talk about deeper things if you do so with an attitude and a heart of humility and you're not just trying to pound them with the, the, the latest apologetic thing you learned where it's like, hey, one, two, three, and you know, like the knockout punches, but you're listening and you're engaging and then you're waiting for opportunities to kind of share truth uh, and to share the gospel. Um, so engage the people around you. Uh, because of time, I'm going to summarize this last part. The disciples are asking uh, Jesus about food, and he says, my food is to do God's will. Um, he's like, the harvest is all around you. He's like, the Samaritans, they're, they're actually getting it right now. Um, and Jesus ends up staying in this, this area that the strictest religious Jews would avoid. He stays there an extra two days. And my, my, fourth, my fourth observation is that Jesus sacrificed. He sacrificed his standing with the religious leaders. You know, it'd be a really easy thing to point out, like, oh, look who, look who he hangs out with. Uh, possibly with his disciples. You know, they were definitely kind of like, why is he talking with this woman? You know, should we ask him? Let's not. Uh, you know, he was willing to, to sacrifice. And he sacrificed far more than his standing. Romans 5, 8 uh, says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life. He gave, uh, he lived the, the life that we couldn't live. Uh, he died the death we deserve and he resurrected so we could know God. Like he sacrificed so we could live every day with him connected to God in relationship. And as, our, as God, like, as you, as you learn 
more about him and you love him more and your relationship gets deeper, he opens your eyes and you get to see, like not just meeting spiritual needs, but physical needs. We have this thing, uh, one of our, the three main things we do, we have a Sunday service within walking distance of campus. We do small groups uh, on campus. And uh, the third thing we do is something we call reaction, which is regarding action. And this is kind of like our, this is our, 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 the way we serve and engage the marginalized in society. So each month, we just have it kind of built into our church's DNA. We find a nonprofit somewhere in Austin and in a city of two million people, there are a lot of needs. And then we'll go serve there. And so uh, there's a, a community, a, a ministry that's building tiny houses, like a whole village of tiny houses for the chronically homeless. And so we've taken college students out there and served. And it's phenomenal to see. And you can just like see college students' eyes open because they're like, oh, like some of the people we've interacted with, they're like, oh, this is the first time I've ever had a house. Like we've bounced around, I've lived in cars and all that stuff. This is the first time I've ever had like a a house. And this person's in their 50s. And uh, we've served at a pregnancy resource center in a low-income area in East Austin. Um, And what we're trying to do with that is like, all right, well, we don't want to just need spiritual needs. We want to be Jesus' hands and feet and be out there meeting physical needs as well. And we're trying to cast some vision for the students. One of the things we hope they're getting is like, look, as a church, we don't have money to just go meet some of these needs, but we do have time and we do have resources. And eventually, a lot of these UT grads are going to make a lot of money. I'm like, somebody, you're going to have money. Do something with it to advance the kingdom. You can make a difference. It's not okay that people are going hungry. It's not okay that some 15-year-old girl in the housing projects on the east side of Austin has nowhere to go and no idea how she'd even get diapers, so abortion is the most likely option for her. That's not okay. Let's do something about this. Uh, One of the ways for us, we've had a house for almost five years in Austin, and up until uh, about two months ago, we'd had someone living with us for uh, the whole time we've had the house, except for like three weeks. And they were an amazing three weeks. We're like, this house seems so big now. But we have people live with us to help us plant the church and uh, we have college students who'll come and they'll stay at our house overnight. And we have people in all the time because we want them to see, look, here's a family who certainly gets it right a very small percentage of the time, but we're trying. And for a lot of them, it's like, wow, I've never seen like, husband and wife interact the way you do, uh, or with your kids, um, you know, like a, a family that's dysfunctional but trying to be functional is how I dis- define us. Um, and so uh, the last roommate we had moved out a couple months ago, um, but just being willing to open up your house, and yeah, we got a 25-year-old guy who's living with us, uh, and yeah, it can be inconvenient. We're like, this is, this is God's house, so all right. He blessed us, and so we're going to have people live with us. And so thinking through, like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Is it your music tastes and preferences? That's a big issue in churches. Is it your time? Is it your money? I mean, many of you here have supported us, and we thank you for that. Is it your resources, opening up your home? Is it your talents? Is it your gifts? I mean, there are so many different ways you can serve. 
Uh, I mean, we live in the U.S. We have been so blessed. Um, you know, like even if you're, you're, you're poor here, you probably have a smartphone that can access more information than the world knew like a thousand years ago. Like that, by saying, okay, Google. Um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I do know that God is always calling us to sacrifice. And whenever he's calling us to sacrifice, it's good to remember that he's always calling us to sacrifice something to get something greater. And, and that's knowing him and participating in, in suffering and sacrifice and following his example. Like we sacrifice and we give because Jesus, who is our model for everything in life, he sacrificed and he gave. So what we're doing at H2O, like as a missionary, as a, as a H2O church, as the, the church we're planning as a pastor, it, we look at this and I'm like, this is just following Jesus. Like we're not, we're not doing anything special, uh, you know, because it's, it's Jesus's church. It's for his glory and he's the one who's gonna build it. And we think, all right, God's doing some really cool things in Austin at our church and what we're seeing with some of these students um, but I, as I've done this longer, I'm like, oh, actually he's doing this um, in spite of us, not because of us, is what I've learned. Um, and you know, these questions like, where's the need around you? How are you seeing people? Are you engaging with lost people? Are you willing to sacrifice? The thing about these things is they're not, it's not brain surgery. You know, like a lot of following Jesus is not super complicated. It's not easy because we're sinful and we're broken, but it's not super complicated. Jesus is a living water that will refresh your soul and there's nothing else that can do that. And so as a church and down in Austin, and I'm sure here, we're just trying to, to be so filled with, with Jesus that it just spills over into the rest of our life. And that's, that's why we liked the name H2O Church. It's where we got the name is from this passage. It's we just want to see that living water fill us up and then spill out into the community, into, into the university, into the city, into the country, and into the world. So let's follow our Savior's example. Let's lay down our lives and live in such a way that everything we do points to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are real, that you are our perfect father, that you are with us, God, uh, that you gave us the example, the perfect example, uh, God, um, to follow. Help us to dig into your word, to understand you more, to love you more. God, we pray that uh, your gospel will go out in Texas, in Michigan, throughout the world, that people will be saved, that they'll come to know you and we'll have a deep, deep walk with you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.